This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where, Chris, I've been raving about this for some weeks now, and I'm still raving about it, the Poke Bar at Burnside. It is awesome. Have you had it yet? I have not had the Poke Bar at Burnside. Yeah, it's right there mixed with, they got, the, they got their great salad bar, they got their soups, which are always good, and now they have this Poke Bar. It's perfect for me on my drive home from work. Every day, stop by Zupan's, make myself a little poke bowl. Are you getting awesome. it for everybody, or is it just yourself? Um, the kids have a few hours until they get home from school, so no, it's, so just, it's, for, all it's gone. just for me. It's all gone. <laughs> but it's so good. Have you have you bought it so that you were attending it for your whole family and it didn't last? That's uh, no, I'm no, no, I haven't done that. But right. uh, five different types of uh, poke seafood salads, three different types of rice and toppings. You can create your own poke bowl. It's only right now at their Burnside location. So keep that in I, mind. That's why I haven't had it because yeah. macadam is my storage right. choice. But Expanding soon in 2017. Right, to the other stores in uh, in Lake Grove mm-hmm. as well. Also, Court, have you had a Z cookie? Yes, I, I have actually. I was at the uh, Lake Oswego location with my daughter Sloan, and as a treat on our way out, like, hey, look at those. Yeah, you know, the thing about Zupans is I'm in there now, and I'm mindful of uh, wanting to post a little thing on Instagram on their behalf yeah. because they're so kind as to sponsor this podcast. Yeah. There are so many beautiful things you can take pictures of and post so it's not hard to find uh one of them is that is that cookie which they make in-house as well it is so good they've got beer and wine tastings taking place every friday and saturday and here's the thing you can go to zoopans.com their brand new beautiful website and you can see the calendar of events happening there so if the, the location is nearest you you can go check out some of these great beer and wine tastings on your weekends that's a good that's enter, that's entertainment mm-hmm. zoopans.com for another week right at the fork with your hosts Chris Angelus, Court Johnson and uh man this is a guy who we've been trying to have on the show going back what a year that you've been tr- we've been trying to make I this know, work I know I mentioned it back when when I was working with Heather on getting guests yeah. and we never did that um and then I actively started pursuing Ethan yeah probably yeah. 8 9 months ago mm-hmm. and it's not that he's tough it's just no. he's just traveling and we have certain days that we're doing the right. podcast and then we had some uh, weather issues that uh, that delayed some stuff and then we had a, a technical issue here in the studio that that right. canceled it so at last at long last that conversation with Ethan Stoll is happening on the podcast and it's great because it's really an honor to have a guy like Ethan on the podcast because Seattle, right up to Pike, yeah. which is a great restaurant city. He's got 15 restaurants up there, mm-hmm. and he talks in the podcast about how uh, restaurant groups um, seem to have a little more uh, of a foothold there and why yeah. uh, than they do here in Portland and, and why it's important. Um, but it's great to have him talk. We've always wanted to have – we have a connection here with Seattle. Right. And it's, uh, it's nice to have him here. I'll also mention that um, – in the beginning of March, if you look at ahead and then look back in the archives, if you're listening to this after that, okay, uh, we're going to have Ethan doing a, a his hidden gems of Seattle soundbite. Yeah. So if you look for that, um, so this podcast we're not gonna, we won't get to that necessarily. We'll talk about kind of his restaurant groups, right, and his kind of bringing up of all that. 
but something to look forward to in the future. Oregon, as you pointed out, looking back. Yeah, you know, 50%. Well, Court, this has been a really interesting living experience oh, I know, for no, us, we, right? I mean, like, this weekend, the, the numbers were spiking yeah. last week. And I hate to keep looking at numbers, but it's fun right? because we're growing. But it was spiking. And then all of a sudden this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, boom. Well, what is that? We can't. We can't it, 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 was, it was Super Bowl weekend. I mean, weekends in general, but well, man, people had football on their mind. We got to get through that Super Bowl. And then once once the Patriots did what they did, people are like, oh, they got to. Drown their their tears in uh, food podcasts. But interestingly enough, so a lot of our listens are back in the archives, right? So, which is interesting because we wanted this to be evergreen. That's yeah. why we don't talk about events that much, right? Um, but who did you say this morning got all of a sudden got the out of, out of the blue? We had a big spike today, and we're recording this this a few days before it actually goes live. But uh, Micah Camden from uh, Blue Star, yeah, his just out of nowhere. A ton of downloads, and the day before, none. Yeah, I've never seen him at the top. But he was at the top of the list. Everything's always at the top of the list for two or three months yeah. after, and then, and then. So anyway, you can't explain it. But uh, my point was that if you're listening to this, it's a fifty percent chance you're listening right. to this after, way we're, after it, it originally you, streamed. We're talking to you way into the future, so hopefully the future is bright. Do you think we should mark the date that we're recording these these podcasts? Uh, well, I think we well here we've referenced it's the day following Super Bowl Fifty One. Yeah, sometimes you get a yeah, you so get you a can feel kind for of it. place this in your like and you can think back. What was I doing on that Monday? Right. Well, we don't and we usually don't stream two days after we record. We no, usually no, have a little bit of a gap. We, we're uh, we're spitting this thing out pretty tightly. Yeah. Well, because we had weather issues to yeah. deal with. But anyway, enough about that. Um, uh, Ethan, I met him a couple of years ago, actually. Through my friend at Modern Apeats in New Haven, mm-hmm. Bill Pastari, who said you need to meet Ethan, and um, and he put us together. And I emailed Ethan, and he was gracious enough to invite me to go to a Mariners game, and hang out with him and eat some pizza up there. And then uh, that weekend, I stayed up for the weekend, and he met me, and we did restaurant crawls. And mm. he didn't; the guy didn't know me, right? For before, yeah, beforehand, it yeah. was just a recommendation from Bill in Connecticut, which you would think you'd be introduced from someone else in the Northwest, right. Portland. Yeah, um, and he was just so gracious, and and he's been nice ever since. And we did an event with him a couple of years ago, absolutely beautiful event with uh, Joshua at Ava Jeans, um, and that was uh, he he's been great. So um, I look forward to talking to him uh, about. What's going on in Seattle? It's really interesting to hear his perspective because if anybody knows what's going on up there. It's him. It's him. Mm-hmm. So Ethan Stoll of Ethan Stoll Restaurants, he gives you a partial list, but you can find that at ethanstollrestaurants.com, and you can find Ethan right here, right now. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach of M Realty. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you and has years of experience to work on your behalf? Find Leanne at leannebach.com. L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H dot com. Zupans, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. 
local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupan's Markets, and by Portland Food Adventures. Did you know you can eat and drink your way through Europe with chefs like Atala's Jose Chesa and Lardo's Rick Gencarelli? Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelus and his great chef friends for these trips of a lifetime to Barcelona and Tuscany in September and October. Get to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and click on the blog tab to see pricing and itineraries. Did you finally get the snow up there that we've been getting down here? Yeah, we're, we're getting it. We got like maybe four, six inches, five, six inches no, last night. So all the kids are out there playing in the snow now. I think it's probably going to be gone by tomorrow, though. That's the beauty of Northwest snow. But do, does Seattle know how to handle it? Because I'm sure you've heard what's gone down here. Gone on down oh, no. no. Seattle's terrible about it. But we, the, the, the one thing we have that's a benefit is that we our last, not our last mayor, our two mayors ago, we had a big snowfall, and it ended up costing him his, his, his position. You know, it was the year of election, and he got railed because the city got shut down for like a week. And tons of, like, businesses went out of business, and there's all kinds of things that just did not go well. So the guy basically, uh, you know, everybody was pissed at him, so they elected me, so they voted for somebody else. And did, did, did somebody else fix it? Well, somebody else was in for four years, and they never had a so they never really had a snowstorm. Right, oh, so they got, lucked out. They got lucky. They lucked out. <laughs> well, we just and had we, and, we just had our mayor right in the first week of his term. Right, had to deal with the, it, a week of hell. And it's hard. It's hard to judge him on that because it, it was. It was like his first week in, and we we we're very much like that. Where we've had these snowstorms come in though, but they've shut down the city for. A week, week and a half. Yeah, which kills business kills owners. Business. And and any and if anybody should know about that sort of thing, it would be you because yeah. you've got a lot of businesses that get affected. Yeah. So when I see restaurants in Portland talking about how the snow really affects them when they're closed down, for you, it's times 13. Or how many well, is it? Well, it's 15 now. But, 15. you know, I mean, that's the thing is that they're, you're talking about, yeah, I mean, it's the big use of, you know, it's the argument of the use of salt on snow. That's what it was up here. Yeah, that's you know, what's going on here now. They, yeah, I mean, and the thing is, you know, we don't get it very often where we need it, but I think that people should. I think, I'm, I'm a believer that the city should just go and say, okay, hey, we're going to do snow. We, we're lucky we don't have to deal with, do this very often, but we should do salt. Just handle it and put salt out. Right. There comes a point, and I've said this down here, and I don't want to talk about weather too much, but there comes a point where the city can't can no longer say this doesn't happen enough for us to really deal with it. Let's just let the chips fall where they may. That that doesn't work. So the reason I bring that up is because I follow you on Facebook, and, and you're uh, pretty active in local politics up there in Seattle, <laughs> from what I can see. I love them. I love them super active in it. You know, I try to, you know, I try to just throw my two cents, two cents in a little bit. You know, I mean, I like... Um, you know, I like uh, uh, businesses to have a voice. Because right now, right now that we've got a we've got a city council, and you know, everybody knows what's going on, on the national level, and the national level's gone too far right, and Seattle's gone too far left. You know, and I'm definitely a full on Democrat. You know, we campaigned for Hillary, and we wanted to, her to win, and um, um, you know, so I'm not uh, I'm not a conservative uh, Republican business owner that's saying we've gone too far left. I'm a very you know grew up in an arts household. A uh, very far left Democrat that says we've gone too far left on city council. Well, that's interesting, you know, and, 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 to and, it's, and, it's, and it's tough. You know, well, it's, it's, it's because they, they don't have they don't have uh, they don't have business doesn't have a voice in city council right now. Well, it's interesting because I you know you're feeling you're feeling like you have to explain yourself, but we're so partisan now. You can't just have an opinion on an issue without 
being mindful yeah. of the way you're supposed to think based on what you call yourself. And that's the pro that's a big problem in Washington. And I think uh, not, not as much in city politics, but that's too bad that you have, that someone has to actually explain themselves if they have a different position than they should. Um, yeah. But, and, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, it's like I think the, the number one thing that's frustrating for me about the local politics scene and the local city council is everybody's looking for somebody, you know, to be the enemy, to be the bad guy. You know, I mean, you know, we definitely felt that in the in the in the fifteen dollar an hour thing. You know, the, you know, the city council asked some of the some some you know some restaurants to come up and open up their books and show them what the impacts would be to their books. And and then you go up and show them what the impacts would be out of the books. And a, they didn't believe you. And b, they called you. You know, they you know they they villainized you by by you know paying your service staff. Uh, a minimum wage, which is a state minimum wage plus gratuities, but because they don't consider gratuities part of their income, you know, which can be, you know, $35 an hour at some of our restaurants on a weekend, you know, yeah. and then that plus minimum wage, you know, a lot more than line cooks are getting paid. For sure. So we've discussed that uh, a lot on this podcast over the last I'm year. Sure. <laughs> and um, what are you doing up there um, about the front of the house, back of the house challenges and minimum wage? What's going to happen there? Well, I mean, we went to a service charge model, you know, in all of our restaurants that are full, that are full service. Uh, I mean, it's and it's and it's not because of the minimum wage so much that we did that. We did it because uh, there was a ruling in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that says you can't share tips with the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So uh, it basically, you know, they basically made it very hard to have any gratuities, uh, you know, go to any kitchen crew. Uh, and I mean, you know, illegal in some fashion. Uh, and, and so we wanted to make sure that, that, that what our service staff was doing was, was continuing, you know, cause, you know, cause you know, the service staff has always, you know, in our restaurants that, you know, they, they've always done it. They've always tipped out the back of the house. And now Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals comes on and says, you guys aren't even, you know, you servers aren't even allowed to do that anymore. So we did, we did, we didn't do it. We didn't take the service model, a service charge model because of minimum wage. Uh, we probably would have in a few years anyways. But um, but uh, we did it mostly, you know, so the so the kitchen crew wouldn't didn't lose out on, on income they you know they they had been getting because if we take it as a as as a service charge, then we can distribute it how we like. And so we just we just we just distributed exactly how they were doing it before you know this ruling. So you just it's, so just, it's we, basically we a semantic we, thing. We, we certainly didn't take any of the money, and you know it's one of those things. I mean, it's so far, uh, it's, you know, it's such a new thing. The service charge model, people don't really understand it. You know, so I mean, you know, we definitely have had some people that have questioned it, and we send it. We're happy to take the time to, you know, to talk to people about it. But it's one of those things that's become more and more commonplace. And what? How does that look on a check? Is it? Are you not accepting tips, or how does that? How does that end up looking to to your customers? Uh, to, okay, there's two different things we have. Okay, so, uh, so we're also a partner. Uh, one of our restaurants is in the Four Seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Called Goldfinch Tavern. So the Goldfinch Tavern is actually operated on a financial level by the Four Seasons. Uh, on a management level, it's operated by us, but their systems and their 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 programs are through Four Seasons protocols. So the Four Seasons on these situations does leave a does leave an extra line if you want to leave an extra tip. I mean, we tell everybody that hey, there's already gratuity involved in this, uh, and you know, included in this bill, you don't have to leave anything else. Um, but they do have an extra line at all of our restaurants. All of our restaurants that do it, which is you know. You know, eleven of them because the pizza joints are not full service, so we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the other, all the other ones, there is no, there's no line to add uh, any any extra gratuity. I like, so I have, love that model, have, and I hope it works. I like it a lot too. 
And I like that model too. I mean, so far it's it's working really well. You know, you get the occasional person who says they don't really like it or they felt like they, you know, like you know they they, you know, they felt like you know their service wasn't as good as they'd ideally like. So why do I have to leave twenty percent? And then we we offer to refund it any time. You know, I mean, you know, I think it's one of those things people just like control. You know, I don't think I mean, you know, our our you know our servers actually when they when they went to a twenty percent when they went to a twenty percent service charge, their their tipped income actually went down. Uh, because you know most of the people live, uh, most people leave twenty percent after tax, mm-hmm. uh, or you know bartenders sometimes get twenty five percent tips. So all that gets kind of pooled together. So our our average gratuity was about twenty one and a half percent. So it actually went down a little bit. But you know it's it's been made up because you know you know it's it's the servers know exactly what they're getting for one. Some people are leaving you know an extra five bucks or something like that. You know I mean then they get you know they you know they get the occasional hey that was really good and here's extra twenty bucks. But everybody's every everybody on our side of the team, you know, on the, on the restaurant side, they're all happy. They, you know, they're all fine with the, you know, they, they like the model. And and we've discussed this a lot. And um, the fact is, if you, the tip doesn't really give you that much control unless you're leaving it at the front end of your experience. But to not leave a tip at the end really isn't going to change the service you just got. So, and it's probably not going to teach anybody a lesson. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, and what we've seen is that. What we've seen is is for people that have had uh, service issues, uh, we we have not uh, we looked at a lot of uh, you know because we you know any any kind of we've got a system that kind of tracks all, all of our reporting, so it kind of kind of compiles all of our information like a Yelp review or Open Table review, and and kind of kind of kind of we kind of house that information, so it just goes and gathers it all up, and then we keep it. Um, and and we've seen you know we started going through those things of people based upon if they had let's say you know there's obviously a lot of compliments most of them but you know people do write negative reviews every once in a while and you know we we, and we reach out to them but we went through uh, problem uh, to, uh, uh, reviews and found the, them in the computer system um, um, you know to get like hey this one was at this table we, we did as many as we could and you know, we probably did fifty or sixty or something like that. I wanted to because I can't, we can't assume. I always tell people when they're asking where to go in Seattle, and I'm trying my best to reel off your restaurants and the names of them. I do a fairly good job, but I do, you know, I probably remember off the top of my head 30% of them, and then later, oh, there was that one. Could you, uh, you have 15 restaurants. Can you just give us a, a quick overview of what they are and uh, a description of what people might expect or, or a, you know what's great about it for each one or most of them, and sure. do you, and do you have a favorite little child right now that you're that you're loving of all of them? <laughs> uh, we've got a, we've always got a few we like, um, but I'll tell you the the ones we have we've got we, you know we're basically a neighborhood uh, based restaurant group, uh, so we have uh, restaurants in downtown Belltown, Capitol Hill, Ballard, uh, you know Fremont, uh, all kinds of stuff. So the ones downtown are, uh, you know, Goldfinch Tavern at the Four Seasons Hotel. Uh, Belltown is Tavolata. We also have a second Tavolata now on Capitol Hill. Uh, also on Capitol Hill, we've got uh, uh, Anchovies and Olives, which is our seafood restaurant, and Barcoda, which is a which is a pizzeria. And we've also got uh, Rione 13, which is a kind of casual but cool uh, Roman-style restaurant. So far, you're mostly uh, at least <laughs> leaning Italian, correct? Yeah, I mean, we started doing that a lot, and just because we really, you know, I mean, you know, I used to, you know, I, I mean, now I have two kids, so I don't go as much as I used to, but I used to go to Italy a few times a year and hang out there and eat food and relax and you know enjoy the culture and kind of soak it in. You know, I, I really love the 
I love the family style dining experiences that you get in Italy. And that's kind of what we want to do. I mean, I know everybody does family style now, but we started doing it, you know, 10, 10, 10, 11 years ago. So we get, you know, we feel like we were, uh, you know, when it first started going a little bit more family style and small plates, we started, you know, we were kind of were a little bit, I think, at, at the front edge of that. And it's, I mean, for me, it's just a great way to dine. You know, you, you, you know, there's no pressure on the customer to, you know, to order more, to have multi course or, you know, or, you know, it's, and, and there's no, there's no way for our, for our servers to, you know, be heavy on the, upselling because I don't, I don't like upselling I, I like people just order what they'd like um but it's nice because this, it just it just makes a really e- you know approachable dining style and that's what we that's what we like you know we want to be restaurants that, that are easy to kind of get into you know they're they're on a, on, a, on, a, on a reasonable price point I'm not saying we're cheap but we're definitely not the most expensive and 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 then, you know more than anything you know they just spark conversation and people have a good time and have fun in them so that's you know that's that's really what we're looking for to Okay, so you've got some different ones that you didn't mention. MKT, I remember yeah. when we first met, you were just opening that up. How's that doing? Great, great. Yeah, that's one that's actually the closest one to my house. You know, Alvin's the chef out there. He's got a really awesome approach to food. And that one's not that one's not Italian at all. It's more, you know, definitely more of an eclectic Northwest um, contemporary American restaurant. But it's tiny. It's also our smallest restaurant. <laughs> um, so. Um, you know, all that was, uh, you know, the market's there. Red Cow is a French-style steak frites place. Staple and Fancy is kind of our casual, tasty mini restaurant. Wasn't that one of your uh, first, next... Staple and Fancy? Uh, no, that was number four. Tabalata was number one. Oh. Tabalata and Hadakaka Wolf, uh, we opened in 2007. Uh, we opened both of them, and those were those were number, number one and number two. Tabalata was in January. Hadakaka Wolf was in November, you know, and those have been great, you know, so... You've done, uh, that's a lot. Called. This is 10 years now for Ethan Stoll Restaurants. You have done a lot in 10 years, and you've had some that have opened and closed, and you've opened We had them. one, I mean, everybody has their, you know, I mean, anybody who's a kind of a restaurant person has their, you know, I call it the college education restaurant. We had one, we had, we had, we had, uh, we had one called uh, Union, and that was our, uh, that was, that was my, you know, my, that was my first baby. Uh, it was downtown uh, as well, and uh, you know we were kind of a little bit of a victim of the recession. Uh, you know, it's a really hard time to do to, to, to you know in the recession. We were across the street from Washington Mutual, right where right when they got uh, seized by the government. Uh, so that was not an ideal spot to be in, but it was an awesome restaurant. And it was super fun to operate. And you can't foresee that when you open. No, it. you can't foresee it. So I mean, we were, and we were doing fine. It was never going to be the restaurant that made a lot of money. But we were doing we were doing fine, and then just you know, I don't know if anybody knows or remembers the recession. It was it was definitely a hard time to be a small business owner. There's no question about it. It was a hard time to be a lot of people at, yeah, at that no time. Doubt. So when you opened Tavolata, was your were your plans just to open Tavolata, or did you were you looking at doing a group and you know having a group and having a lot of restaurants someday? No, I mean we opened up. We had Union, and we opened up Tavolata, and we were like you know. Then all of a sudden. I found myself really enjoying working at Tavolata. Actually, more than actually, I started enjoying doing working at Tavolata more than I, more than I like working at Union. Yeah, uh, Union was really fine diving, really intense. You know, just everything very much you know had to be perfect every time. It felt like there was just this big pressure on it. You know, uh, and uh, and Tavolata was uh, Tavolata was like a free spirit. It was awesome. You know, it was it was people come in and it was it was really busy. Everybody was loving everything. They just had a great time, and had you know the you know the vibe of the place was cool. And it was it was back in the day when when new restaurants didn't open every week, you know. And like now it's now the restaurants open every every day of the every every day of the year. It seems like, 
Um, but no, we were, we were, uh, it was, it was definitely a big opening and we were just crazy busy. It was a super fun restaurant. And so we didn't necessarily plan on opening a bunch of restaurants. We, we wanted to open up one that was casual and kind of a late night thing. Um, um, and then we got a, you know, we got an offer to take over the place where how to cook a wolf is. And, you know, I mean, actually, you know, one of, one of the friends, a friend of mine offered to like loan us the money to get it open. And I was like, well, yeah, the barrier to entry is really, 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 uh, really low in this one. So I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, and it was originally meant to just be a wine bar, but it ended up just being a crazy busy restaurant. And, um, and yeah, and then, and then we just decided we took a couple of years off after that. We opened up anchovies and olives later. But yeah, after, and after anchovies and olives, when we had four restaurants, then we were like, okay, well, you know, we're a restaurant group now, you know, so what are we going to do? And then, you know, I mean, it, I mean it's just, and so we kept on growing after that. So now you have your feelers out and you got a radar because you're, yeah. Is it a good time in Seattle to open a restaurant now? Because we've been talking about how it's not in Portland right now. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very tricky question. You know, I think if it's your fifth restaurant, it's not a bad time. Uh, if it's your first restaurant, I think it's a tough time because right now, you know, rents are high, uh, and, and they, you know, and they're actually, they're, they're kind of high, but what's really high right now is cost of construction up here because every construction company is busy building buildings for Amazon and all these things. Right. So all the construction rates have just gone sky high in the last couple of years, uh, just with, you know, with as much growth as Amazon and downtown is doing and every real estate developer in the world coming to Seattle, every construction company is just packed, you know, they're just busy. So it's, you know, it's sometimes it's even hard to find somebody to even do the construction work. We've got a longstanding relationship with our construction company. So that makes it a little bit easier for us. But uh, I know that some people are like, wow, you know, this, you know, restaurants that the restaurants that cost $400,000 to open up two, three years ago are now costing $700,000. And it's just because everybody's busy, you know, and when everybody's busy, everybody raises their prices. Right. And you have a corporate base up there that we don't have in Portland. So I, from yeah. I, there are some major differences between the two markets, especially when it comes to restaurants. Um, you have a big corporate base. You've got a lot of you've got sports teams. You got everything. We have professional diners down here. And, yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean that's that's what that's what we do instead of going to see the uh, Mariners and the and the Seahawks down here. Although there are some sports teams, but not as many. And uh, and there aren't the there aren't these expense accounts down here that you have up there. Have you? Yeah, I mean, Seattle Seattle right now is a very unique town. Um, companies all over the place are coming here, and you're right; they all have expense accounts. They're all doing meetings. They're all doing dinners. They're all doing everything right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a busy it's a busy town right now. So how does that make? How does that? Uh, change the nature of the types of restaurants that that we see in Seattle, not necessarily yours, but overall and versus Portland. I think, I think that, I think the thing is, I think people are up here. Uh, I think people are spending a lot of, I think people are probably spending more money uh, on dining up here. A it costs more than restaurants down in, down in Portland. You go out to dinner and, and, and I think people are, I mean, they, I think they do have a higher income up here so they can go out more. But I think what we've seen is that people are going. People want services, so people are going out to eat several nights a week uh, because they're so busy at work. You know, if you have an Amazon job, you know, you've got a busy job. You know, and 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 uh, you know, and they, they employ thousands of people right in downtown Seattle. So, uh, and, you know, they 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 don't want to go home and cook. They don't want to go home and do deal with dishes and scrub pans and you know rinse up their plates. 
they want to go out and they want to eat something good and eat something healthy uh, and eat something more important, more than anything, you know, just kind of natural, real food, you know, and they want to do it multiple times a week. So they, you know, they definitely want to spend a little less money. So the, the restaurants that uh, appear, the restaurants that serve good food at a reasonable price, the ones that are busy and, and, and are going to be the, you know, they're going to be the ones that win. But I do think that we're going to see a big restaurant slowdown up here in Seattle. You know, I mean, it, it may not be, you know, Tom Douglas and Ethan Stoll and Josh Henderson that that that, that slow down opening restaurants, but um, I think you're going to see a lot less restaurants opening up, just because I think the cost of bear, you know, you know, the you know the cost of entry to the business is going to be really high. Right, and you're probably you're probably your access and Tom Douglas's access to funds because you've got success is it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. That yeah, I mean, the bigger yeah, they and, are, I mean, the more all this construction up here. There, there's there, there are a lot of spaces where people need amenities, you know. So people that have, you know, that I mean, I mean, I mean, that I mean, you know, that's really why you've seen restaurant groups form in Seattle, right? Is because you know there's there's so many buildings going on, and all these buildings need amenities for their tenants. Um, whether it's an apartment building that needs a bar in it for in the neighborhood, or it's an office building downtown that needs. A lunch option for the, the you know for the two thousand people that are you know that are at work there, they all need amenities of some fashion. You know you can't put a bank in, in everywhere. You know and and there's no more retail. It all goes it's, you know it's all gone to the internet. So uh, yeah, you see that's why you see up here you see a lot of a ton of restaurants openings because they have you know these people have to have something in there. And if you have a you know you have a building that costs you a hundred million dollars to build uh, or two hundred million dollars to build or whatever it is. You know, you're probably not going to go and gamble on all this on all the main floor retail on on somebody who's just starting up. Right. You know, you'd, you'd, it's easier and safer to give you know you know to you know to give Tom Douglas a few more bucks and know that 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 restaurant. You know, it's, I mean, is it going to be the? I'm not saying anything about Tom, but are, you know, are they are they going to have the world's best restaurant? I mean. A lot of times, you know, maybe not. You know, a lot of times, you know, like I know one of my best restaurants was the first one to open up because I cared so much about the food, but I didn't care. I didn't know anything about the business. But at least they know that, the, you know, that the, that, you know, that the business will be there and be, you know, and be that anchor for the building that, that they need. Right. And that goes back to when I first met you a few years ago. You had cited that one of the things that you envied a little bit about Portland was that the cost of entry was so low so that. You you didn't have to. Uh, there wasn't the need to satisfy investors in month six, um, so that chefs could be a little more creative. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's what I, I recall from our conversation. A little more creative and do some things that perhaps wouldn't be possible in Seattle. Yeah, I think there's some. I think there's some. I think you know between the two cities, I think there it, there are some things that down in Portland where I think it's. Uh, you know, having you know your labor's a lot less down there. Your rents are a lot less down there. Your construction's a lot less down there. You know, everything's less expensive down there, and you guys don't have sales tax, and that adds on things. Um, so there's a lot of things that are less expensive down there, and that and that and that enables um, and that enables the you know price points to stay down. And I think that's, I mean, my personal opinion, I think that's the best way to be able to run a successful restaurant is offer good food at a reasonable price. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that the Portland restaurants are better than Seattle restaurants. Uh, they're just they're just they're less expensive, you know, and they're easy. Like I said, they're easier to open a restaurant down there because it costs less money to open up a restaurant, and there's less pressure on the business then, you know. So, you know, pressure is one that you know pressure is one thing that's you know that is a little bit tough, you know. So, but in Seattle, you know, I mean, I, I think in all honesty, I think a lot of the restaurants in Seattle are feeling a little more comfort. To I mean, I, I'm I am and I'm not feeling more comfortable comfortable offering some special things, 
whether it's Wagyu steak or gooey duck, things that are kind of, you know, kind of very expensive. And, and I like the uh, option of that. I mean, I like having be able to offer those elevated items. Uh, and I haven't seen a lot of that down in Portland. No, um, you don't see gooey but, duck on many menus down here at all. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, you know, even things like Dungeons Crab now, it's, you know, when I first started cooking, it was $12 a pound and now it's, you know, 32 or whatever it is. You know, so, I mean, a lot of things like that, I think people here are, are, are willing to pay a little bit more for than down there. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the, I think the pendulum swings back and forth at times, you know? Right. So do you have, uh, we're seeing Chris Costantino come in here from C- San Francisco and a couple of Seattle chefs have ventured into Portland. Do you have any sights on it? I, I do not at this point. No, no. I mean, you know, I mean, I, one of the things I, one of the things that, that people ask us, one, you know, why, why we open up as many restaurants? You know, it's A, because we want to have a growing company, you know. You know, B is, if I keep on opening restaurants here and I, if I make enough income up here, then, I, you know, then I, then I don't have to travel at all. You know, I'm certainly not a greedy person, but, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, you know we, I want to, I've got two kids I have to support and all kinds of things. But, you know, if I can figure out a way to have a job where I don't have to travel, uh, that's great. You know, I love that, you know. And, and so far, that's been the case. And. You know, granted, we get to travel for for pleasure a lot, but you know, not necessarily for work. Right. Well, if you got it, I it makes perfect sense to me, and I'm not. Uh, I certainly am not a business consultant, but to have everything in one place that's successful, once you open up the first somewhere else, that changes that game, and you got to put effort towards that. So. Totally. Yeah. Um. Totally. So I don't think, and I know Tom Douglas isn't down here. How do you? How is there a way, or can you uh, cite? Just a, a vibe a difference between a Tom Douglas restaurant and Ethan Stoll restaurant. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a vibe difference. You know, I mean, you know, Tom Douglas has gone; he's gone all downtown, and we're mostly neighborhoods. So, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Tom's definitely a, and you know a downtown guy, a 150 seat restaurant guy, and we're just neighborhood restaurants. We're 40, 50 seats in most of ours. So, I mean, you know, people compare the you know the number of restaurants we have, uh, and he's certainly got more than we do. He's got five or six more than we do. Um, but so they compare us a lot, but I think, you know, if you, if you actually, if you actually did the comparison as sales, I think it'd be probably pretty mind boggling. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you know, in the number of employees, that's how I think people should actually measure it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Tom's, Tom's got well over, you know, Tom's got well over, I think, actually, I think he's got about a thousand employees and we're, at, we're you know, we're at 250 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is definitely sizable, no question about it. But, you know, as far as Tom's restaurants go, they're just much bigger, much busier. Ours are definitely more, you know, more neighborhood driven. We're not expecting as much business as downtown restaurants. And, and honestly, we like it that way. You know, granted, you know, the Four Seasons is a, you know, the Goldfinch Tavern is a downtown restaurant. It's big uh, and it does a lot of sales. That's, you know, as far as restaurant sales go, that's the busiest one we have as far as the dollar sales one. Yeah, and that's, is, is that your newest too? Uh, no, no. Um, Bramley Cross is our newest one. And Tavolata too. Those are both newer than uh, than Goldfinch. Is and what is one of those where Chippies was when I had a a nice oh that, 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 that's Marine Harbor. We got that too. Oh, I love Chippies. <laughs> I was sorry to see that that wasn't on your roster any longer. Chippies is awesome. Chippies, I mean, Chippies is great. I mean, you know the the uh, thing we learned about fish and chips, and I think that's why there aren't a ton of fish and chips joints, is that uh, fish and chips restaurants make money in the summertime. And they do not make money in the wintertime. Nobody wants to go out and have fish and chips in the wintertime. They just don't want to have that extra, you know, whether it's the battered fish and, you know, not necessarily the most healthy thing. 
So chippies would make uh, uh, good money in the summertime, and then it would lose it in the wintertime because we're not a company that wants to like start slashing everybody's hours to make a you know to make a to make a nickel. Right. So it ends end up being just. I don't get that. Being, I'm, I always have a Jones for fish and chips in the winter. I think it's comfort food for me. And I, you know, so, some people do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love fish and chips, but not enough. Apparently, but not enough. Yeah, no, not enough. Uh, but yeah, so. We didn't. We didn't want to slash people's hours in the winter time. I mean, we could have made money with it, but that's. That's. I mean, it's one of those things about being in business is what you know. What's worth it to you? You know, I, and I don't. I don't want to. I've so far. I've had. I've been able to avoid being a cutthroat businessman, and I, and I. And I'd like to keep that trend going. So our thing was like, let's switch it to something that we know is going to be a little bit. You know, going to be a little bit more consistently sales. You know, we're certainly not looking for restaurants to be home runs. If it wasn't, you know, but you know, we're not looking for every restaurant to be a home run. But you know. You having have, something that's you know that you know that's kind of you know on the negative side of things uh, financially. I mean, I'm a believer that says, "Hey, if you don't think you can turn it around, then you should kind of deal with it and go from there." Right, and you have the ability, and you got a lot of, and you have a lot of people that need spots, right? So that's one of the reasons, you know, talking to John Gorham down here with his group, the uh, Brave Bull, I think it's called. That mm-hmm. one of the reasons he first started expanding was to. Because he loved his people, he respected them, and he wanted to give space for everyone to grow into new positions. Is that one of the things that yeah. you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, all of our, you know, I think all but two of our chefs came in as sous chefs, and now they're they've grown into their positions. You know, I don't know about you, Court, but I've gone through a number of real estate transactions in mm-hmm. my time, and I've had some great ones. And I've had some not-so-great ones. Right. And the key is picking the right realtor right off the bat. It all comes down to the realtor when, it, when you get down to it. Right. Especially in a hot market. And you, and you need to act fast and you need to negotiate uh, from a strong position. Yeah. In, in, in a matter of days, if not half of a day, Chris, could mean thousands of dollars gained or lost. Right. And market knowledge as well. hmm So we've known Leanne for a little while now. And I can tell you this, she's tuned into the food world. So I would say if there's anyone listening out there and they want someone who understands where they're coming from and where they want to come from when they go to a restaurant, Leanne is the one to call. And that number would actually be 503-349-7890 or go online to leannebach.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. Do it. We love Leanne and, and she's here to support not only us, but our entire Portland food world. So, uh, Chris, I understand things going pretty well for these upcoming uh, trips to Europe in the fall. PFA International. Yeah. Tuscany with Chef Rick Gencarelli of Lardo and Grassa, if you're a fan of theirs and you know him at all, or if you don't know him. We're going to have a great time doing uh, foraging for truffles, eating incredible food, beer tasting, wine tasting in Tuscany. We also have seven days in Barcelona, our third trip. That we've done with Chef Jose Chesa of Chesa, Atala, and 180. Go eat churros in Barcelona with Chef Jose. Yeah. And uh, and we have some space there. Our Tuscany trip is almost full, and we have some space for Barcelona. So um, we welcome anybody to come along and contact me for more information. Yeah, and then you can go to uh, PortlandFoodAdventures.com. The, uh, the blog tab will give you the itineraries and, and how to contact Chris. I'll just tell you right now. You yeah. can call 503-395-5900. Okay, that's one way. You also, do you have some events coming up as well? I do. Some local events? Thanks for asking, Court. You're welcome. Uh, we're at Dame 
uh, in late February. You can look out. It's February 21st. Uh, doing a wine-centric event, which we've never done before, uh, really focusing on natural wines. You can hear Dana Frank recently uh, in our archives on Right at the Fork. And then we're at Quaintrell, March 29th, with Chef Bill Wallander. And that's a beautiful restaurant, excellent food, and uh, one of the new places that we've talked about quite a few times on Right at the Fork with Gary the Glutton. We've just been talking about business, but I wanted to talk about you a little bit. So, All right. So uh, you grew up in Seattle. Your family was involved in the arts. Can you explain that a little bit and then how you got from your childhood and what you did and how you first got interested in uh, food? Sure, sure, for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I grew up in, uh, in Seattle on Capitol Hill, so I'm definitely very much a Seattle boy. Um, my parents ran Pacific Northwest Ballet, the ballet company in town. Uh, and my brother actually used to run the Oregon Valley Theater down there. Um, but um, so there was three boys, myself, my two old, older brothers. The oldest brother, Christopher, went into ballet. Uh, the middle brother, was well, he was the sports guy growing up, and he went into, into, into some real estate work. And I was the young guy. You know, I was the, the third and uh, the most wild child, I guess. Uh, not, not like wild, wild, but I was kind of like partied probably more than my other brothers and and I also didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was I wasn't the guy that was a great student at all. But you know, so I got out of uh, uh, you know got out of school and you know bounced around for a couple of years and then found cooking. You know, I mean, my cooking was always my dad's hobby. It was always his way of unwinding from a day. So it kind of I kind of just it kind of felt felt like a you know a direction to go check out. And and then honestly, the first day I went in a, you know in, you know into a kitchen was I knew I was going to do it for the rest of my life. You know, that was December the first 2nd, day. It was love at first. Love at first knife. It was. It was. I mean, it's, it's, as weird as that sounds, I mean, I had the I had the moment, you know, where I knew, uh, hey, hey, you know, this thing I can check off my list. I know what I'm going to do. So well, that's was, a, that's uh, a big one. A lot of a lot of people don't even get that up to forty or fifty years old. So it's good that you got that done early on. Yeah, no, I was I was very uh, very fortunate about that. Very lucky. And you know, December second, nineteen ninety five, first day. Oh yeah, you remember? And where were you? Uh, at this catering company, I was actually my first job was 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 being a janitor in the restaurant industry. I was a janitor and broke down like chickens and things like that and peeled carrots. Yeah, well, I so. I my first job in a restaurant and I did not keep up it keep it up as a career was in the Abbey in Norwalk, Connecticut. I was the salad person, so if I did a good job, yeah. the the manager would call me the salad man. If I fucked up, he would call me the salad boy. And um, I was actually in that kitchen when, um, I've told this story before, but when Nixon resigned and uh, we were out in the, um, the Volkswagen bus of the chef smoking a joint listening to Nixon resign back then. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. And I can tell That's you the date, I can tell you the date too. So you remember yours, and, uh, but mine was a little before yours, 1995. So what did, what were your, what did your dad cook or, or where did you go? What were your food experiences uh, as a child that might have had influence on you later on? Okay. Um, I mean, and I'll honestly, a lot of it was family style stuff. You know, because I had two, you know, three boys, you know, eat a lot of food. So it was a lot of family style stuff, you know, a lot of stews, a lot of roast chickens, a lot of, you know, legs of lamb kind of thing. I mean, leg of lamb, it sounds, 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 uh, 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 gourmet, but back in the day, I mean, you know, everybody forgets the leg of lamb. Nobody wanted it. They only wanted the rack of lamb. Right. Leg it, of lamb was it was a cheap. staple. We used to have leg of lamb all the time and lamb chops, too. 
Yeah, we it was so cheap back in the day because they had the Ellensburg uh, lamb slaughterhouse back in the day uh, in you know Ellensburg, Washington. But so there was always a lot of lamb around our house, uh, and I I, mean, I love lamb. I think it's probably my favorite meat. But um, so we did that. It was always it was always very much a family style dining thing where hey, you know, grab your food out of the platters on the counter, then go to the table. But my parents were really good about us gathering around a table every day. You know, it was like hey, it was not it's not an option to not do it. Everybody, we had dinner together all the time. And, and do you think that's different now, where everybody's running to soccer practice and and different activities? I've I've thought, boy, I re- we really used to have a lot of meals together that I don't see now. A days. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, my kids are only two and four, so I don't. I don't necessarily know how the, the like you know once they get in the, once they get into soccer, I'm not sure what the schedules are. Um, <laughs> You'll find out. They, I'm sure I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, I mean, it may be you know maybe like after after school and the kids are done, they'll go to one of the restaurants and I'll make them them and their kids a big big spaghetti feast or whatever. Who knows? That's one of my <laughs> that, that'd be kind of cool with me. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, we'll see. Are you cooking? Uh, in a, are you the, are, Do you cook at home a lot? How does that? I, yeah, Angela and I both cook quite a bit. You know, um, Angela and my wife. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we both cook quite a bit at home. You know, yesterday for Super Bowl, I made you know hot wings and uh, you know or, or red beans and rice. Uh, just kind of you know wintertime food. It's kind of good food to eat. You know, in the wintertime, cold time. So, how do you think Dan Quinn's? Bowl. How do you think Dan Quinn's feeling today? I think he's feeling terrible. Yeah, and that was a bummer. Yeah, well, he's been that through that same thing at the hands of Tom Brady twice in uh, the last few years. So, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, I felt bad for him. Yeah, they had that. They had that game in such control. So, are you a bigger you know? football fan or baseball fan? I'm a bigger baseball fan, but still, you let me not like football. Yeah, no, I was actually how we met was at Safeco Field, yep. and oddly enough, our connection was not Northwest; it was through. Uh, Billy Pastari in New Haven at Modern Pizza. <laughs> That's right. And um, we still haven't, you still haven't been there. We have to get back there sometime. You travel enough where we should be able to hook it up. I know we should, you know. There's no question about it. You know, I'd love to go to uh, uh, check out his uh, his pizza joint and all the pizza joints there. So you, you were, you, are you still working at Safeco? Um, yeah. So you're involved with all the, all the cool food there. Is you're consulting with them to make it happen, and I just referenced Bill Postari. He at Modern Pizza in New Haven. It's not called Modern there. By the way, are you still is he still there? How long do those things last? Uh, uh, it's actually switching over next next year to actually be a, a Ballard Pizza Company, one of our pizza joints. Oh, okay. Bye, Billy. Yeah. See you later. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not so much that. Not so much by Billy. I think it was just you know it's it's. There was there's center plate had a had center plate had a had a had a, a different uh, um, a, a director of creative mm-hmm. and they wanted it to go a little more local. Yeah, you know, so well, I can I can see that and um, yeah, sure. it was cool and um, I just thought it was great that you were serving that pizza there or close. It w- didn't have the modern pizza name on it. It was Bill- wasn't it called Bill's or something? No, like- it's called it's just called a pizza. Oh, a pizza. Okay, I forgot. Pizza. But I did get the opportunity to enjoy a game with you um, at Seattle, at Safeco. Have you been to some of the other parks around the country? Yeah, I mean I've been to a few of them, and I mean not a ton, but you know, I mean if I'm if I'm if I'm out and I can go to a game, I'll certainly go to a game. You know, but you know, I mean it's been also 
You know, I mean, it's it's uh, my kids aren't old enough to really enjoy going to the game yet. No, it's been certainly a couple times, but they get bored by like the fourth inning. That's what I was gonna say. I remember going to ball games when I was when my kids were young, and you, it was very frustrating. You'd have to leave in the fifth inning all the time. Yep, and and that's not uh, that's not what you want to do. But I I enjoy the fact that you're a baseball fan. I really don't know a lot of people in the food world down here that are baseball fans. Portland is not a baseball city, and it would be perfect. To have a National League or any team here, uh, to have a rivalry with Seattle, and we have perfect summer weather for it too. Yeah, no, it'd be great. I mean, but you know, up here we're pretty fortunate. You know, I mean, I think the Mariners gonna be an awesome team this year, and Safeco is a great stadium to go watch a game. So yeah. we feel pre- we feel pretty lucky about the whole thing. So that's why I, what I was gonna ask is because I think you're the Seattle is uh, not in a negative way, but the bar is pretty high. It's a beautiful ballpark. It's one of the nicest. I've done almost all of them in the country, and uh, I would think people in Seattle would be, uh, if they're, if if Safeco is their benchmark, to go elsewhere, it would be hard to top it. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely tough. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, you go out, I mean, anytime I'm out watching a game and it's sunny out, I'm happy. Yeah, there's nothing like Simple. it. Simple as that. So you, you know? do you do a lot of charity work, and what are some of your favorite causes? Because you you really it's one of the cool things about what you do is that you have the opportunity to help a lot of people through their through things they love, comfort food and the comfort of food and that sort of thing. What are some of the yeah, organizations I'm, that you're uh, that you well, help the us, most? We we try to we try to get involved with whatever we can, you know. Uh, this year, this year we're doing a lot of stuff with United Way. I think they do a, they help out a ton around the around the city uh, and the region just to make sure that you know you know some of the basics are covered. Uh, and you know I've been doing some work with Union Gospel Mission to help homelessness. Homelessness, you know, I mean right now you know homelessness is is a is a I don't, I don't know I'm, I'm sure it's a big problem in Portland too, but it's a big problem here in Seattle as well. And 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 we got to get these people off the streets. You know, I mean there's not. You know, there's you know, there's there's definitely an issue of um, of homelessness where people want to get out, uh, and we can help those people. Uh, there's definitely an issue of some mental health issues that we need to work on, and some definitely some some, some addiction problems that we need to work on. But you know, the main thing is that we can't we you know we should people should have access to you know the basics of of, of you know of, of of a roof over their head, and if we can start accomplishing that, then we can start getting them um, um, in a better chance to be successful in life. I'm not familiar so, with it, but is the is the gov- is the city government set up? Because uh, right now you got national politics working against that sort of help. Um, yeah, national politics are tough right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really rough. So, and you know, I think in the Pacific Northwest and Oregon, we're a little shielded from that. That does not mean that we are absolutely shielded, but at least there's you know there's a common uh, charitable and uh, uh, thread where people are thinking of other people. Uh, how's, yeah. it, how's that look right now for you up there? Uh, it's, they're definitely working on it. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it was, it was awesome. You know, you know, it's a great testament to our mayor. You know, I, I invited him out to go on a union gospel mission. It's called a ride along. So it's basically we go out at night uh, from seven thirty to about twelve thirty in the morning and hand out supplies to homeless people, you know, whether it's blankets, socks, sandwiches, bottles of water, hot cocoa, Hand warmers, jackets, pants, you know, whatever. We take this, you know, we drive a van, loaded full of this stuff in it, and and go around and and, and offer people assistance, you know, and ch- talk to them, and you know, ask them how they're doing, and 
you know, I mean, I think it's a basic thing where we're really trying to have, you know, you know, people that are without homes know that people care about them. And I think that's the first step, you know, is really showing that, showing that you care, getting the community, getting the community around it. And, and I invited the mayor, Ed Murray, on one of these things, and he said, yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's the kind of leadership I think we have up here, which is great. So I think it was nice to see him out there. And, and I think he, you know, was pretty impactful. Cause I think this thing is about, you know, I know the city council members, you know, I've invited them too. Uh, and I, cause I know only one of them has gone on a, on a union gospel mission ride along and it's Sally Bagshaw. Um, but the other ones haven't gone. So it'd be nice to see those guys get out there because you actually see what's going on in the streets. I mean, and so if there's anything that's going to make anything a priority is actually seeing what's happening. And, um, I haven't seen, uh, people, out, you know, I haven't seen the city council on the street, you know, cause I, I want to have them out there so they can actually see an impact and, and, and feel what these people are going through. So, I mean, that's, our, that's my next goal is try to get the city council out there. But, you know, I mean, ultimately our, 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 our job as a company involved in the community is we, we, you know, we're from Seattle. We want to have Seattle be a better city when we're done than it was before. We want to be a, you know, we, we want to be a good member of the community. We want to get ourselves involved with the community. Uh, you know, I think Seattle's a growing city right now, and which is all a lot of great things. But I think one of the things that we're a little bit in jeopardy of is losing the identity of our city because there's so many people coming in from out of town. Which is they're all it's all great that that's happening, but we have to be very cautious as a city that our culture of being a very artist, you know, arts based uh, 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 culture and a very philanthropic philanthropic culture doesn't get taken away from us. Yeah, I think there are um, those those concerns down here too. Um, yeah. That change is happening ra- happening rapidly. Um, change happens rapidly, and I think you know it's like, I mean, at least me being a Seattleite, I want my kids to grow up in a city where it feels like the city I grew up in. You know, and so far it does, but we have to make sure that that culture of uh, of giving back to our community and, and kind of sticks with us. Right. Well, you, I, I think it's remarkable that you're. As I said, you know, we we met a few years ago. I followed you on Facebook. I think it's remarkable how active you are. I saw. Uh, photos of you and Hillary together a year ago. Um, yep. But so you're running all these restaurants. You're now a, you know, a very involved father. You travel a lot. And on top of it, I, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, um, seeing you and I didn't recognize you. You just lost a ton of weight. <laughs> I did. I, you know, I mean, I got, uh, I realized, you know, when, when before I, uh, before I was a cook, I was, it was, you know, the debate for me was whether I was going to go into something involved in fitness or in cooking. And I ultimately chose cooking, obviously. Uh, but when I got into the industry, I was, I was in very, very, very good shape. And then it's just over the years, you know, being busy and wanted to press forward and want to put my career as a priority and growing this company as a priority. I got to the point where I was, you know, I gained a bunch of weight and, uh, and, and then I decided that I wanted to, you know, I mean, the, 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 seeing my kids was more important than me sweating it out for a few months. So I decided to change a little bit of my diet and my eating habits and, uh, start on a, on a real fitness regimen. Uh, and I, yeah, I lost 50, 55 pounds. Yeah. Wow. And then, and that's kind of was the goal. Um, I, I actually didn't even, I, my, I guess my goal was originally to lose like 20, 25 pounds because I didn't think I had 50 to lose, but I had 50 <laughs> for sure. You know, I mean, actually at my peak, uh, I went, uh, my, the, the most amount of weight I had lost, uh, was about 60, 65 pounds. Wow. I went from one, I'm sorry, I went from 240, um, six to 180. 
which was, you know, and then, and then I started lifting weights to try to gain some muscle because I was, I was realizing I was a little too skinny. One of, one of my friends came to me and said, said, damn, Ethan, you need to eat a cheeseburger or something. And I was like, yeah, but again, I gotta gain a little bit of weight. But how do you so, do, I want to know, because, you know, I've battled a weight problem my whole life. How do how do you you're in the kitchen you're around incredible food it's just completely plentiful how do you how do you do that? Well, I did it. Uh, I did it uh, knowing that um, it was going to be tough for the first couple of months, like really hard. Um, because you know what you need to do is you, you need to get your metabolism to the point where it has a really good gasp of fresh air. Mm-hmm. So for me, for the first couple of months, was you know, you know, it was two a day workouts. You know, whether it was, you know, you know, riding the bike for 45 minutes in the morning and then riding the bike for 45 minutes at night, um, um, the two day workouts. Uh, and then, uh, it was cutting out all sweets, all carbs, uh, drinking a ton of water and trying to cut back as much on booze as I possibly could. You know, I mean, anything that can turn into a carbohydrate, whether it's from sugar or from alcohol or whatever, those are the things I avoided. So it, it was definitely eating a lot of protein, a lot of protein bars, and it was kind of a miserable diet for a couple of months. But then, you know, then your metabolism gets, you know, gets involved. And, and, you know, I lost, after I lost 25 pounds, you know, the first 25 pounds were actually really hard. The second 25 were really easy because my metabolism yeah, got to the point where my, my where it really was like, oh, man, my metabolism is jamming right now. So the first 25 was really hard. The second 25 was not as hard, not nearly as hard as the first. Right. So, you know, it, it is, it is, you know, you have to cut out a lot of things you like. I mean, because it is 85, 80, 80, 85% diet and, and 15 to 20% exercise. Right. I think that's the, the balance I've seen, too. And I did uh, I did very well with that, like cutting out a lot of bread, because I, w- I would eat bread with butter like it was no tomorrow, and um, and soda. And I'm not a big drinker, so I didn't have a lot to cut back there. But it does, it does work, uh, and it also requires a lot of willpower to keep it up. It's really... It's harder to go long term than it is short term. So, right. I mean, and for me, the hardest part—the hardest part I had was the, the eating uh, late night. You know, because I would always work and then get off work and go have a meal. You know, that was the hard part. That was the hardest one. You know, because they shouldn't. I mean, yeah, if you're eating at you know ten thirty at night, you know that's not—that's just dead weight going. You know, you know, sticking with you while you're while you're sleeping. Right. Well, especially in the in a chef's world, are you cooking at your restaurants a lot now, or is it mostly management? It's a lot of management, but it's, I mean, you know, it's usually, you know, it's usually a couple of days a week of two to three days a week of charitable work where we're doing some sort of an event. So, I mean, that's the majority of my, of my cooking stuff is whether it's entering a, you know, we've got a, this week we've got a, uh, you know, a chowder competition and, you know, I mean, it's, it's things like that. And, you know, it's, it's whatever, whatever I get, whatever I can squeeze in, you know. That's a lot. And I think it's, uh, You've got boundless energy, so I guess it's hard to say no. Although you had to learn how to say no to some people, and it's hard, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't like. I mean, I, I'm like saying no. I mean, because you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm definitely a hostility guy. That's always been a hostility person. So, you know, if anybody's you know asking me, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to in some fashion, some ways, try to say yes. Well, good. Well, we're glad that's you said yes. Try. I'm really glad that you said yes a number of times to come on this podcast. We we had a couple scheduled, and we had some weather, and then we had a technical problem. So sincerely appreciate your uh, good nature and your willingness to come talk to people in Portland. I hope that um, I hope that uh, people come up and now 
have a better idea so that I wanted to hear you describe your restaurants in your words rather than mine. We didn't get very specific, but uh, how do people find uh, how do people find out about Ethan Stoll Restaurants? What's the best way? EthanStollRestaurants.com or just Google me, Ethan Stoll. I'll be happy. It'll take you right to our website. Cool. Uh, I want to say, where, where should I go out to eat? I'm coming down there in a couple weekends to see my my uh, my nephews and niece. Oh man! Where should I eat down there. You want me to go public with where you should go eat? <laughs> we have so yeah. many restaurants. Uh, what do you feel like? That's the first question. What do you and and is do you want to go somewhere new or what do you feel like? I don't care. I don't care wherever you want. I mean, I, I I love Ox, so that might be an option. Um, Ox is great. Have you been to Atala yet? Uh uh-uh. Atala or Chessa? Those are some of my favorites. Um, my buddy Jose Chesa. I can mention a lot of restaurants. We just talked. We just had uh, Don Salomon on from uh, uh, Food Cart, who's got quite a storied uh, history at great restaurants. He mentioned, uh, and I agree with him. One, one of his favorites place you need to go is Expatriate. Go for okay. Naomi Pomeroy's food and uh, some uh, Kyle Linden Webster's fantastic cocktails, and more importantly, the it's the vibe. And if you know, reading on your bio that was on your website, you did say something that resonated with me, which is um, the experience of dining with people and the whole uh, vibe is way import- more important than the food itself. And I've always believed that. I think that's important. I hugely agree. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I think people going out to dinner. I mean, our job as as the restaurant people, as far as whether we're a server or a cook. I mean, people are going in to have a good time, and our goal is just to not fuck it up and hopefully make it better than they expected. Yeah. You know? uh, and I, didn't, I don't mean to diminish the importance of food, but you no, can't just have I good food and sterile walls and, and have nothing going on. Uh, right. That I yeah, think no, is I mean, important. I'm a, I'm a food guy, and I, and I feel totally fine and comfortable saying that. So, I, think there's, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of uh, young uh, restaurant owners or chefs that don't necessarily subscribe to that, uh, and I think it would serve them well to you know to kind of go over a little bit towards that direction because I think it would help them and their businesses a lot. Yeah, I don't you think know, I don't think they're as cognizant of the that end of it as they are. They're they're artists, and they're focused yeah. on the food. So uh, I would also suggest we have um, we have once a month updates on the podcast with uh, with Gary the Glutton or Gary O. Now we'll discuss that. But he talks about what's new. Um, so if you look at the podcast and look at the Gary uh, episodes, what's new and what's good and what he likes, there are a lot. I just went to Taylor Railworks the other night. Every For me, it's always what comes to mind, where have I been recently? Because there are so many restaurants, it's impossible. But try Taylor Railworks, where Eric Van Clay, he was the chef at uh, both Le Pigeon and, um, and Little Bird for years. Okay. And this is his first venture with his uh, partner, Gabriella. And uh, it's one of the nicest chef counters in town. Um, so I would suggest that. There's so many to suggest. So, But I suggest listening to that podcast. That's the uh, Those hey, podcasts I'll, I'll are it. good ways to do. Um, but uh, where have you been recently in Portland that you've enjoyed? Anywhere? That's all right. Uh, if no, you have... I, haven't been, I haven't been in Portland in probably a couple of years. Well, so that was no. the last time you were down here when we did that event with uh, yeah. Joshua at Ava Jean's? Yep, that was it. Or uh, that was really nice. Appreciate yeah, you doing could. that. We got to do that again sometime and figure it out. Yeah, love to do yeah, that. That was that was that was the last time I've been out of Portland. And your brother's you know, down here. You got to come down more often. I know. That's why well, I'm going out. That's why I'm going out to see him. Because you know, I haven't been down there for a while. We've gotten together for sure, but 
it's usually been him coming up here. Well, let us know if you're. Let me know if you're in the area. I'd love to join you for something and take you out for uh, maybe even some of the hidden spots, the smaller spots that people don't talk about as much. Yeah, we got to be careful about that. You careful what you ask for. I'm bringing my kids down too. Oh well, yeah, okay. And end up with a two year old and a four year old. Oh well, your, then on your on your lap at the chef counter. No, well, that, I don't know about <laughs> my lap, but how about uh, for them? I would think you got to go to Pips Original Donuts would be a great spot. That yeah. would be fun. They're little mini donuts. You're getting lots of different flavors. Nate Nate is one of our favorite people. Um, yeah. But I'll throw I'll I'll email you some more. Yeah. How's Revelry doing down there? I was going to ask you about that. I think it's doing well. I have only driven by it, so I can't I can't tell you any more than just about two weeks ago. I said, "Oh, there's where that is." That's that's it. Yeah, so, great, Rachel and Safe are super nice people, and uh, hope they do well down there. I, I think, think they're they being up and they're excited about it. I've heard, we've heard good things. Uh, again, I reference our. Gary monthly restaurant updates, and he's talked about Revelry a few times. So right. he's been there. Um, okay. Thank you so much for cool. taking the time. No Thanks for having me on. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Yeah,